Welcome to episode two of the Buckets Mentality Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about player rankings. We did team rankings in last week's episode. This is episode two. We're going to be talking about how I rank players, what I think about all-time rankings, position breakdowns, and so much more. Let's get into it. Let's start with basically just how I rank players. So I break them down into tiers uh, based on the amount of value that these players hold to an NBA franchise. It's a team sport. This is a five-on-five sport, not one-on-one. I'll get into the difference a bit later. But the whole purpose of ranking players is to determine and predict what team's going to be better at the end of the day because players make up these teams. Obviously, star power is just one category when you talk about ranking players. you got to talk about team chemistry, fit, what kind of players, what roles you have on your team, your coaching, the system. There's so many factors, head-to-head matchups, things like that. But the whole purpose and origin of player rankings is to to determine what team is going to be the better team. I don't like doing all-time rankings just because those are extremely subjective, and I really wasn't around to see every single player in every single era. Talking about guys like Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, even guy like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, those guys are just – before my time. And even though I can do research and things like that, it's just not the same as being there and witnessing them. And the guys I witnessed in this era, I'm going to have a little bit more of a bias to because I got to completely dissect and analyze them while they were playing the game. It may be a positive bias. It may be a negative bias. I just have more information on them and I've seen them play more. So it's unfair for me to be able to rank those players in comparison to players that played in different eras. I can rank the players that I saw and that I witnessed night in and night out and I was around for but other players in different eras just not the same connection so that that's what I think about all-time rankings that's why I don't do them anymore the whole LeBron MJ debate things like that that's why I don't really do it uh, like that I do it based on play style and I do it uh, based on the era in which they play we can say okay MJ's had the 90s on lock the 2000s uh, you could say Kobe had that unlock, or some people say Tim Duncan, depending on what position you prefer. LeBron James in the 2010s, that's pretty clear cut. So that's that's kind of how I like to do it. Uh, when we talk about different roles, people talk about point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. I kind of view the NBA in different sort of positions. I see the play initiator being like what a lot of people refer to as the point guard. That's like the floor general. Uh, of your offense, the primary ball handler, they're setting up teammates and they're also setting up buckets for themselves more so in the modern NBA. We see more scoring play initiators and examples of play initiators to me are guys like Stephen Curry, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook to a degree. And the most important skills uh, for players that play this position, obviously playmaking, basketball IQ, your ability to read the defense, see the floor, Uh, Scoring the basketball has been extremely important in modern basketball. Shooting from behind the arc, uh, which was really big for Stephen Curry, and that's kind of how this era has transitioned. You need to be able to shoot the three ball and space the floor. And then just leadership. How far can a team go with you as the focal point uh, of the offense? So that's what I really need to see in my play initiators. A wing player is more so a primary scorer and defender that plays on the perimeter. They're a secondary creator. But their main job isn't really to find others, distribute for others. Those are your bucket getters uh, and usually the guys that guard the best defender or the best offensive player on the opposing team. They're usually the best perimeter defender. And guys like that are KD and Kawhi Leonard. They don't really have the playmaking that the play initiators have, but they provide your scoring, your clutch buckets. Those are your go-to scorers. 
And the most important skills for them are scoring, obviously, on-ball defense. And like I said, clutch. Those are your closers more often than not. Uh, guys like Kobe Bryant that I've seen before, just assassins. They would go out and guard the best player on the opposing team. They would put 50 on their head offensively. And when it gets tight down the stretch, you're giving the ball to Kobe Bryant. You're giving the ball to KD. You're giving the ball to Kawhi Leonard. That's what I see a wing as. And then for a big man, you're just a tall interior force on both ends of the floor. Um, guys like Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, and obviously their important skills would be rebounding, help defense, and athleticism. Um, they can score. Obviously, you can get them the ball in the post. They can go to work. They're threats like that. But also the modern big has been able to shoot the mid-range shot, been able to shoot the perimeter shot, just Jump shooting has been more of an emphasis in the modern game, so they can also be able to do things like that. Um, and then the rover, like you may wonder why Nikola Jokic wasn't a member of the big man category, why LeBron James wasn't a wing or a play initiator, things like that. Where does Giannis Antetokounmpo fall in? A player that doesn't really confine to a specific role or play style falls under that rover category. Uh, they can bring characteristics of multiple of the different play styles, but they don't really fit specifically into just one play style. A guy like LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo, a guy like Nikola Jokic, these are your centerpieces of your team in a lot of cases, or they're also your glue guys in the case of a Draymond Green, potentially a Ben Simmons. Uh, and it's kind of harder to know where you fit in along those guys. Most of the time, that's why they're the centerpiece, because everything revolves around them, because they're not just confined to one position like when people say oh it's hard to play with LeBron James LeBron James makes this guy into a spot-up shooter blah 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 turns Kyrie into a pure score you can't really reach your full potential as an individual player playing with a rover necessarily in some cases that could be the case just because LeBron James is so good at doing a variety of different things he's going to take on that responsibility of being the primary ball hander and distributor but he could also be your top scorer he can also be the guy that's crashing the glass and he can also be the guy that's switching out and guarding onto multiple positions. So it really makes the responsibility of the other positions not as important, but he's going to turn you into a specialist at a certain thing. If you're a specialist shooter, you're great to play alongside LeBron James because you can fit into that niche and that role. Kyrie Irving was a specialty shot creator and scorer. He was the go-to guy in crunch time, and that's what Kyrie did. He did his thing. Guys like Kevin Love and Chris Bosh turned into floor spacers. They are still great individual talents, but in order for them to win, and be able to compete for championships, LeBron James took the bulk of the responsibility of doing most of the things out there on the floor. Those guys combined into that smaller role, and they were able to excel, and they were able to, in both cases, win championships. So it doesn't always mean that they're necessarily taking away. Like You're not being worse playing with a rover, but a rover can – he can basically account for more responsibility for your team – uh, he's obviously one of the most valuable players on your team because he can do so much out there uh, on the floor. It could be a positive and a negative depending on how you look at it. I think every team should want to have a rover, whether it be a glue guy or a franchise centerpiece. I think it's valuable. You look at what Draymond Green has meant to the Golden State Warriors team these past couple of years, what LeBron James has meant to his various teams going to eight straight finals. That position is valuable. Um, and all the positions are valuable, to be completely honest with you. Um, but but I prefer to have my best player be someone that has the ball in their hands, someone that's running the show, running the offense, 
And, and when you have the ball in your hands, you're able to to run the show. You get to determine the outcome of the game more so than a big man that really relies on someone to get him the basketball and, and can't really have as much of an on-the-ball impact. That's why it may be just be the bias of modern basketball, and that's what the trend of the game has been, but I really just feel like I want the ball in the hands of my best player. Uh, an ideal team to me has a play initiator, two wings, a rover, and a big man. So if we go with that mold, the best team would be like Steph Curry being a play initiator. You got Kawhi Leonard and KD on the wings. LeBron's the rover. Then AD, to me, is the best big man in basketball. Uh, he would be in the middle. Paul George uh, is the second best wing to me if KD's out uh, with his Achilles or whatever. So the Clippers really have the best wing duo. When you talk about Kawhi and Paul George, the Lakers have the best rover big man duo with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So there's just a lot of talent in Los Angeles. In fact, that entire squad, if you're taking off KD to replace him with Paul George, that entire squad is playing in the Pacific Division, playing in the state of California. Just a crazy amount of basketball talent uh, amongst those five guys. So next I'm going to talk about tangible versus intangible skills uh, because a lot of people, when they're talking about players, ranking players, it's like, how do we determine some of these other variables uh, that really you can't point to a stat or something to determine this, but you know it's a factor in basketball? So the tangible skills, obviously, you got scoring, shooting, rebounding, playmaking, on-ball defense. help defense are a little tougher to figure out on the stat sheet. It's not just steals and blocks. You kind of got to watch the games. Can they stay in front of their man? Um, how, what percentage does the opposing player shoot when guarded by them? How do they make it more difficult for that player to score, whatever the case may be. But those are more so the tangible skills. And the intangibles, you got the athleticism, which, I mean, there's some tangible measurements, but it's not entirely a tangible uh, skill set, basically. Versatility, uh, how many positions or roles can you play or, or guard, clutch, how well you perform in big moments, situations, games, not just the past couple, like last shot or like last five minutes there's more to clutch than just that iq the ability to understand and read the game decision making efficiency then you talk about leadership how far can a team go with you as the driving force with you as a centerpiece those things all matter um when i look at players i try to focus on what they're elite at what they're really good at rather than focusing on their weaknesses a lot of people like kind of like to bring down other players to elevate their favorite players or the players that they think are better. No, I just look at the positives. What can you do at an elite level on the basketball court? And how does that compare to someone else and what their elite skill sets are? Which skill sets do I find more valuable? Would I rather have for my centerpiece or my player? Um, and being less bad at something isn't a reason why you you should be better than someone else. It should be what you're elite at. You're you're better at being elite at this specific thing uh, rather than just you're a little bit better, but you're not great. So but those are just little tweaks to, to how people rank players that, that I kind of find different uh, in the way I rank players. So the difference, let's talk about the difference between individual one-on-one -on -one talent um, versus the impact on a five-on-five game. A lot of people say, who, who could win in a one-on-one? -on -one? Who's more individually skilled? That's the better player. No, because if that was the case, we'd be talking about a one-on-one -on -one tournament or something like that. We're talking about a five-on-five -five team sport with coaching, with bench, all these other variable factors. It's not just who can win a one-on-one. -on -one. Phenomenal individual talents are different than 
how good you are in a team sport. There are some amazingly skilled individual hoopers. Carmelo Anthony is a perfect example. Carmelo Anthony could beat half the league in a one-on-one. We're talking about just you put these two guys in a gym and you just have them play one-on-one. Clearly, that's not the same as impact on a five-on-five sport. Uh, you can be a phenomenal individual talent and still have an elite level impact on a five-on-five sport. Guys like KD, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, list goes on and on. Phenomenal individual talents, but they can still have a big impact on team success. And three out of those four guys I just named have won an NBA championship. Um, but there's also players you can build the team system around. They're, they're kind of systems in and of themselves. They may not be as good one-on-one players or individually skilled or talented individual players, but they have such a tremendous impact on team success. You talk about LeBron James. You talk about Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic. Uh, they're intangibles. They're playmaking, things that don't really fall into the one-on-one back and forth kind of open gym type of setting, but they still have a big impact on the game of basketball. Those are things a lot of people don't seem to equate into the conversation uh, when you're just talking about individual skill. Um, so like I said, I prefer players that have the ball in their hands and get to control the pace and the flow of the game, uh, run the show. So those are some of my slight, you, you can call them biases. Like a lot of people say, oh, buckets, you're biased when it comes to ranking players. Th- there's obviously bias when it comes to ranking players, because you're ranking it based on what you value as an analyst, what you value as someone that watches the game of basketball. So that's why I prefer to rank players into tiers, because you're grouping them in terms of, okay, these guys equate to around the same amount of value. So yes, they may play different positions. They may be asked to do different things. I may slightly prefer this guy's style of play rather than this guy's style of play, but they all kind of have the same value to a team. Uh, and that's why I'm going to do this right here, ranking superstars by tiers. And I split them into three different tiers. And tier one uh, are guys that have proven their value on the biggest stage. These are guys I know I can count on. These are the ideal players to build a championship team around. They're LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Stephen Curry, and KD. Like I said, KD and Kawhi, elite two-way players, wing players. KD, is he's the greatest individual, like, one-on-one talent I've ever seen. He's seven feet tall with a handle. He's unguardable. He can defend. He's, he's just an insane individual talent, and that individual talent is extremely valuable. We saw back-to-back finals MVP. We saw him hit some big shots and whatever. I've been on him about his playmaking. He's a solid average playmaker. He's not a great playmaker, but he can make some plays. He's also a good defender. I get all that, but I've also been on him about, okay, I haven't seen you be the driving force of a championship team. You joined a 73-9 and team, and that was Steph Curry. Steph Curry was still the driving force of that that ship in gold state now do you have like the same value as as steph curry like are you similar in terms of value sure because you're just such a great individual talent you can get buckets when a play breaks down you can you can get a bucket you can get a stop you're you're the go-to guy you're the closer and you've put up big numbers and better numbers uh than stephen curry in the nba finals but it was clear in terms of the on-off numbers, if you watch the game, the flow of the offense, everything's revolving around Steph Curry and Golden State. That was his basketball team. All I want to see from Kevin Durant is, like the rest of these guys, I want to see a team where he is the centerpiece. He is the focal point. It's his team. 
without a doubt. No one else is on his level in terms of value. That's why I want to see him do it, hopefully with Brooklyn, be the driving force of a championship team for the Nets because I've seen all those other guys do it. That's just my one little, little not, not really even a slight. It's just what I want to see from him, which I've seen from all these other guys. And I said it about Kawhi too before he went out and did what he did um, because obviously, although those guys are both elite two-way players, they don't really play make for others. They're not really elevating others on the offensive end. They're really not super communicative too with their teammates and stuff. So uh, I did not really see their value equating to what LeBron and Steph did um, as centerpieces throughout this entire decade. But Kawhi Leonard just, he took the Toronto Raptors who were already a really good team and they made, he made them a championship team. He went out there, he got his buckets, didn't say much, defended, and he proved his value on the biggest stage. And yes, the Golden State Warriors had to deal with injuries and things like that. I understand that. But I saw Kawhi Leonard be the driving force of a championship team, the unquestioned driving force. Second best player on that team was either Siakam or Kyle Lowry. So I saw him do that. Steph Curry, what can I say? He's been the centerpiece of arguably the greatest team of all time. Uh, he's won multiple championships as the driving force of his team. LeBron James has done the same thing with the eight straight finals. Uh, everything stops and starts with LeBron James, and as it did with Stephen Curry, as it did with Kawhi Leonard, and Kevin Durant has done that. He did that in Oklahoma City. I mean, they didn't win a championship, but he still took them to the NBA Finals. He still showed out, put up 30-plus in those NBA Finals, going head-to-head with LeBron James. That's why I put him in this category, because even though I haven't seen him do what Steph, Kawhi, and LeBron have done, I've seen him still get buckets and be huge on the biggest stage. I've seen him be clutch. I know I can trust him, and I know this is the biggest thing with KD, and I've told him this before. I know he can do it. I know he can be the centerpiece of a championship team. I just want to see him do it because I feel like it would elevate him so much in terms of his status. Uh, and we're talking about all-time rankings for people to do that, things like that, um, which is why I didn't really want to see him go to Golden State in the first place. I wanted to go – him to go to a team, even like the Boston Celtics, where he could have proven that. Um, it didn't end up happening, but now he has a perfect opportunity to go with his friend Kyrie in Brooklyn and see what they can do there. Tier two for me, perennial MVP caliber talents who haven't proven they can be the centerpiece of a championship team, which, I mean, doesn't mean they're ass, obviously. These guys are superstars. These guys are all world. They're talented. Year in and year out, they'll be in the MVP conversation. And these guys still have a good amount of time left in their careers, especially when we talk about Giannis and Anthony Davis. I also have James Harden in this mix, uh, who's 30 years old, but we know what he is, a scoring assassin, a great playmaker. Uh, he's a guy where everything stops and starts with Harden for the Houston Rockets. He has come up short in the playoffs, and, and that's my big knock against him. And he is he's so ball dominant, but like he, he can be successful in that setting. But at times in the playoffs – when the game slows down, when the officials swallow their whistle a little bit more, he doesn't get those same calls. He's more inefficient. Um, those step backs and stuff. He, maybe he's just not getting his. He's not getting enough legs on his shot as he gets more tired as the season goes on. I don't know what it is, uh, but he's just not at the same level. Careless turnovers, decision making. Even when Kevin Durant went down, it was he had a real shot to go to the conference finals and to throw in the Golden State Warriors. He just wasn't able to do it. I get he plays in the grueling Western Conference, but he just hasn't proven that he can have that same level of postseason success and elevate his game and build a championship team like those guys in the first tier. Giannis Antetokounmpo, a similar thing. He was able to lead the Bucks to the conference finals and during the regular season. 
I mean, he was he was the best player in the NBA during the regular season. He was a dominant force on both sides of the ball. He's versatile. He's a rover. He can play and guard multiple positions. He's so valuable to that Milwaukee Bucks team. But down the stretch, his lack of a perimeter jump shot, his lack of really like a post fadeaway or something, even like a mid-range game, it just came up a little short going up against Kawhi Leonard and it proved that he still has a little bit of ways to go. He's the youngest player on this entire list. So, I mean, he's going to be in that tier one very, very soon. And he was close to being that tier one. If he could have just gotten past Kawhi Leonard last year and done those necessary things um, to, to prove he can, he can get buckets on the biggest stage. He's still, he's still developing as a basketball player. He's going to, He's gotten better every single year. I'm such a believer in Giannis because I've seen every single year he just gets better and better. He has the physical tools. He's a smart basketball player. He He's trending up for me, definitely. Uh, Anthony Davis is a guy I've been critical of because he's such a phenomenal individual talent, kind of like what I said with Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant. Uh, he plays both sides of the ball. He's a post threat. He has a jumper. He has all the individual skills. But because he's a big man, especially in modern basketball, he's not really much of a playmaker. He's not really elevating a team offensively. Like defensively, he's an impact. He can definitely elevate a defense. Um, but but he, since he doesn't have the ball in his hands to create for others, it it's really was hard for him to really do much with the Pelicans. And, yes, there's a lot of injuries with the Pels, um, obviously, uh, he got injured a little bit and he ran into gold state. He was able to beat Portland, but he just hasn't proven to have much success in the postseason as number one guy. And I just could not put him in that tier one. Moving on to the tier three, these are elite talents that I think can win a round or two in the playoffs as a main guy, but not much more than that. This is Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid. And then for my three B kind of borderline tier, I can put these guys in there from a talent perspective, but they haven't had the same amount of success in the playoffs. And that's Paul George and Westbrook. Paul George hasn't been able to get out of the first round for several years now. I know what he did back with Indiana before the injury, having those Eastern Conference Finals battles with LeBron James. But as the main guy in recent years, he just hasn't been able to get it done in the postseason. Same with Russell Westbrook, who without Kevin Durant has failed to get out of the first round of the playoffs. But those guys, from a talent perspective, they're in that group. Uh, Joel Embiid, again, with the injuries and the availability concerns with him in the postseason, he hasn't been the same player in the playoffs. Um, or he has for some games, but he hasn't done it consistently. He hasn't done it deep in the playoffs. So I worry about him, but he's a great defender, obviously a great big man. He can go to work on the block, um, and, and he elevates that. He, he makes He's the centerpiece of that 76ers team that has a good shot of making the finals this year. So we'll see what happens with that. Nikola Jokic, like I said, a rover. He's seven feet tall, but he's the play initiator. Uh, it's crazy what he's done for the Denver Nuggets. And he had a great playoffs, um, but but he just hasn't had the consistency. It hasn't gone deep in the playoffs um, like those other guys. Kyrie Irving, he's the assassin, the score. He's so individually skilled. He's been the clutch shot maker uh, for the Cavs. Uh, in the playoffs, he obviously didn't have the greatest playoffs with the Celtics last year, uh, but he can bounce back. Uh, he can rebound, and he's he's obviously an elite talent in this group. Damian Lillard led the Blazers to the conference finals, but we knew they weren't really a legit championship contender. He's a great individual talent as well. He's impacted and elevated that Portland Trail Blazers team. That's going to do it for this episode. Player rankings. Hope you guys enjoyed. I'm out. Peace.